listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. With the final pick of the NFL draft, tell us who is Mr. Irrelevant 2020. With the 255th pick in the 2020 NFL draft, the New York Giants select Tay Crowder, linebacker, Georgia. And that is how the Giants brought the 2020 NFL Draft to a close. Welcome into the New York Football Podcast, our Giants pod here at The Athletic. This is our full draft recap for the Giants. Tim McMaster here along with Dan Duggan. Of course, subscribe, rate, and review us if you can. Uh, You can also save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash the New York Football Podcast. Dan, for three days, the sports world almost felt normal. I enjoyed it. Of course, it's a little less enjoyable if you're fully ingrained in in covering the draft, but did it feel kind of normal for you, even though you were home on your couch and not at the Giants complex? Yeah, that was really the only difference. Um, You know, it's it's always a long weekend. It's a bit of a grind, especially when you have that turnaround from the day two into day three, where, you know, I think I was up writing till, you know, 2 a.m., you know, Friday night into Saturday morning, and then you you basically wake up and bam, you start with uh, the the last day and the Giants had seven picks. So it was a busy last day. Um, but yeah, listen, in the state of the world right now, certainly can't complain about being busy with work. Um, it was definitely, like you said, it was kind of a normal weekend. I think it's funny. The NFL kind of drew some criticism for just kind of soldiering on um, despite everything that's going on in the world. But I think in hindsight, it was the right decision. Um, you know, they really did a good job, I feel like, adapting this. So, you know, they weren't you know putting people in danger. Everything was very remote and, uh, it definitely added like a, a totally different flavor to just the entire uh, proceedings. And I think there was a lot of it that people seemed to like. Um, and yeah, so for me, it really wasn't that much different. Had to just try to, you know, avoid my, my two-year-old running around at different times. <laughs> that was that was the biggest challenge about Saturday. Um, at least the other the first two days she was in bed by the time it started. But um, yeah, no, I thought it was a, uh, a, a good weekend. I, again, I think it was, you know, I think the NFL handled it pretty well. And, and now the, the kind of reality sets in, we're looking at a void here, though, because uh, I think it's pretty safe to say we're not going to have anything this spring. I mean, I know the NBA is slowly starting the process May 1st in, in states where um, the restrictions are, are lighter, but the NFL has said it's, it's you know, one, 32 or zero. Like if every team can't meet, then we're not doing anything. So feels like we're probably not going to have any sort of, um, you know, organized football activities, at least, you know, in person and, until hopefully training camp in the summer couple of things stood out for me from the coverage. Well, there was all the the dogs and family and stuff. That was fun. But the league did a good job, I thought, of working in those little uh, PSAs to basically say, hey, everybody, glad you're enjoying the draft. Um, you know, keep flattening the curve. Keep doing stuff out there. And the other thing was how Roger Goodell started this draft in a suit standing up very official-like and just slowly de- deteriorated over the course of the three days. And I think he he did a nice job of not taking himself too seriously, which we can't always say about Roger Goodell. Yeah, I mean, he's still like, that personality is still pretty wooden. I think it was like late (laughs) on Friday night. I felt like the batteries were kind of running out and he was struggling to get some names out. And, uh, you know, he definitely um, doesn't have the the most electric personality, but yeah, no, I think he, he handled it well. I mean, it was kind of funny. I, you, I was a little unimpressed by the man cave. You'd think in uh, guys making 30, 40 million a year, it'd be a little bit more of an impressive setup, but it just seemed like, you know, someone's, you know, regular old house. Um, yeah, I think, you know, he lives in Bronxville. I'm pretty sure he's got a pretty big estate. So maybe he just, uh, doesn't spend a lot of time down there. 
Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, that that part of it was was good. And, you know, it's funny because when I'm watching it, but once as soon as the Giants make a pick, you know, I have to basically tune out for the next hour or so because you're doing conference calls, you're writing, all that stuff. So I definitely don't get to experience it as much as, as viewers, especially when they're picking early in the rounds. One thing if you're picking like 25th, because then you can watch the first 24 picks as just a, a fan or whatever. Um, so I definitely missed some stuff. The thing I really wish I watched a little bit more of was the, uh, you know, telethon or whatever you want to call it that the NFL network was doing, I believe on their website. Cause I saw some clips of that where it's like, you know, Brady and uh, Russell Wilson busting chops and, and Daniel Jones is on there for a little bit. And they're, they're laughing with him because he clearly knew Andrew Thomas was the pick a few minutes before it became official. And uh, so there's some fun moments. Like I said, I think the league did a good job just sort of, you know, bringing different elements in and still trying to make it, you know, an entertaining uh, couple of days of TV. All right, we're going to talk about uh, what needs the Giants filled, what they didn't, and all of that stuff. So let's start um, not just not really with the first pick because we dove into that on Friday and Andrew Thomas and how he fits, but just the overall addition of protection for Daniel Jones. It's something that Gettleman hadn't really done the first two years with the Giants. 17 picks he had made, only two were offensive linemen. Uh, but in 2023, the first five picks. So Thomas at number one, fourth overall. Then they got Matt Pert in the third round out of UConn. And then Shane Lemieux, uh, the guard slash maybe center out of Oregon in round five. This was clearly, I guess, objective number one, Dan, was to get that protection going for Daniel Jones. Now, there's a mix here, obviously, with the probable sure thing in Andrew Thomas to the, um, you know, the other guys are maybe less of a sure thing, but certainly the the attempt is there to, to beef up the line. Yeah, it was, it was more just the commitment to doing it because, you know, Dave Gettleman's talk from day one that, you know, fixing the offensive line was a top priority. And now, granted, he has made some investments in terms of, you know, some big contracts, but, you know, with Solder and to a lesser degree, Patrick Omame, obviously those haven't worked out. Uh, the trade for Zeitler was, you know, kind of a, a big move with player for player. You don't see that too often. And, uh, you know, I think Zeitler's steady player. And then really other than that, though, the only draft pick was Will Hernandez in the second round in his first draft. I mean, I'm not really going to count uh, the seventh rounder last year who's already cut. So just all those picks, you know, it's a big need to only, you know, really invest one you know, sort of premium pick at that spot it was a little bit of a head scratcher because, you know, again, it goes. I try not to go back to this every time I talk about Gettleman, but it's like it just goes back to that overall approach. We came in in 2018 and try to put a Band-Aid on it with Eli, like, you know, Nate Solder, that contract makes sense if you think you're close to contending and, and you want a veteran left tackle. And I grant that he hasn't played very well, period. But, you know, I mean, if, if you could do it over, I don't know that that's really the guy that um, is part of a rebuild. Because obviously, I think by the time this team gets the, the, sh the ship righted, it'll be with Andrew Thomas at left tackle, not a, you know, aging Nate Solder. So um, it, it's, it's hard to understand why they he wasn't a little more aggressive um, you know, going after a tackle in the draft. And I know, I know it's hard. You, you, know, you can go pick by pick and say, well, where should they have got one? Um, you know, I think last year in the, that 17th pick they used on Dexter Lawrence was probably a prime spot to take a stab at one or even the DeAndre Baker pick later in the first. And so they just kind of kept kicking the can down the road, you know, stopgap veterans. So finally this year, you know, they, they met it head on. Obviously the Thomas picks a, a premium resource and you're expecting that guy again to be your left tackle for ideally 10, 12 years. And it's just not even a spot you have to worry about as, as Daniel Jones grows old, he'll have that guy protecting him. Uh, and then the other two picks, um, Parrot and Lemieux. I mean, you know, it's mid rounds, some definitely some projections there, but you, again, you're just taking stabs. You're not just like, 
getting the Mike Remmers of the world who you know it's a one-year stopgap, Cam Fleming, these guys who have really no future. If these guys do develop, you know, you might have just – you might have nailed three-fifths of your starting offensive line in one draft. I mean, that's certainly an ideal look. And, I, you know, I don't think Parrott or Lemieux will really be big factors this year. But definitely looking ahead, the opportunity is there for these guys to step in uh, and, and be a part of it. And I, I think it was, you know, overdue that you invested in that in the draft, got some young guys in who, again, you, you got a quarterback who's young, a running back who's young, can really just build this offense together. So uh, I guess sort of better late than never to, to make this investment. And the good thing with Pear is if they really do like the potential there, when you look at the way the roster works out for this guy, yes, a third rounder, you'd probably like a little earlier contribution, but the way the roster works out, you have Thomas, you have Solder, and you have a guy to, to kind of step in and spell those guys. So when you look at 2020, you don't need um, Matt Pear to uh, – to be a big factor in 2020. He can take the year and develop. And then in 2021, you probably do need him to step up and, and be a, a contributor. And hopefully by then he is. Right. And this is sort of the last couple off seasons where there's like criticisms of what's the plan or the plans were contradictory or whatnot. It just feels like there's a, just a much more cohesive approach um, to sort of what they're doing now. I don't know if that's Gettleman seeing the light. I don't know if that's the Joe judge influence, probably a little bit of a combination of the two, but like you said, they don't need Parrot to come in day one and start. That would be a lot to put on a kid who um, everything they said right out of the gate was developmental. He needs to, you know, put on some weight, get stronger. But you have Solder as a placeholder. Now, granted, he has to play better than last year. I don't think he's ever going to live up to that contract. But, he, you know, he has to be more of the 2018 Solder, which was, you know, mediocre than the 2019 Solder, which was really, uh, you know, a weak link on the offensive line. But if you can get solid play out of Solder for one more year, uh, the, you know, the way the finances work out, it's much easier to walk away from him after this season. And that's, you know, obviously what the ideal scenario is. You hope Parrot develops behind the scenes this year as a swing tackle, you know, maybe gets a little time, but of course you don't want anyone to get hurt. So uh, maybe he doesn't see the field at all. And that, you know, again, with a third round pick, you might say, oh, I would like to see a guy make a more immediate impact. But I think they have a realistic handle on the fact that they're not one third round pick away from being a Super Bowl contender. So you could take the long view. You know, you think this guy's a ton of upside. Let him develop as this rookie season behind Solder, behind Thomas. And then next year, again, ideally, we don't know how this is going to play out. You have your potentially, you have your two bookends of your offensive line on, you know, relatively cheap contracts. You don't have to go splurge and, and patch it with a veteran free agent for the next couple of years. And then obviously, if they're good enough, you'll be happy to extend them in a couple of years and, and pay them big money and, and, and come out of this draft with two guys who can start on your line for 10 years. Again, that's way down the road. Certainly with Perry, we, we can't make that. Uh, conclusion but you can see where at least there is a plan like this is how things could work out if everything breaks right if you had to look into your crystal ball a little bit dan to uh opening day which hopefully is on schedule for 2020 do you see solder on the left and thomas on the right for 2020 if everybody's healthy um it just seems to me moving solder after all the years he's played on the left side to to the right side would be weird when you can just plug Thomas in on the right at first and then eventually move him to the left. Yeah. I'm, I'm batting that around in my head. Um, you know, judge didn't reveal anything, which is, I think we're going to be saying that quite a bit uh, after <laughs> Joe judge press conferences. Um, you know, he said that they both can, you know, all the tackles that really he's not, even, he's not even going to narrow it down to the two clear starters, um, you know, can play both sides, Solder way back in his rookie year, played right tackle. And then he shifted to left tackle his second year, like might be something to emulate, because um, the thought is, there's two schools of thought, I would say. Thomas has played left tackle, you know, predominantly going back to high school. 
and his last two years at Georgia. So if you want to make things easy as possible for the, you know, the prime, you know, prize draft pick, just put him at a position he's most comfortable at. On the flip side, he does have that experience as a, a freshman at Georgia. And also you have to look at the big picture. You got Will Hernandez, who is a young left guard, has sort of been up and down, uh, some, some struggles with the mental part of the game where, you know, stunts and all that type of thing. So do you want to take a kind of a questionable young guy left guard and then put a rookie next to him? Because now that side of the line is very young, very inexperienced. Uh, it's, it's, you know, there could be some problems there. Or do you maybe ease the transition for Thomas, get him back to right tackle, which, again, he has experience there, so it wouldn't be a, a drastic transition. And you put him next to a guy like Kevin Zeitler, who's you know super steady, and you basically have a little more balance. That way, you kind of you know the shoulder as the veteran on the left side, Zeitler as the veteran on the right side, and you let the two young guys you know work alongside um, some more stable presences. Now, again, if, if Thomas is just worlds better than Solder, or Solder looks like he's totally over the hill in camp, then sure. I mean, you just got to go with the what the best five is. But I think you know maybe just from an experience standpoint, if they could balance it out that way. And then obviously I think the plan would be for 2021, you move Thomas to left tackle because I think that's going to be his long-term home. But I, the more I thought about that idea of having two young guys on the left side, uh, a little bit questionable to me. So I, I think maybe the, the best scenario, you know, is Solder and Hernandez stay together for another year on the left side and you ease Thomas in with Zeitler on the right. All right, let's talk about the other portions of the offensive line beyond the tackles. And you mentioned Shane Lemieux. He's a guard, and maybe he can play center. Center's a need on this team, uh, Dan, overall. So um, you can't fix everything in a draft, but what's the Giants' viewpoint on that interior line now coming out of this draft? Yeah, I mean, I think your point you just made, you can't fix everything in a draft. I think they probably felt like we're going to come out here with a couple holes because they went in with a bunch. And so there's a few different opportunities where – uh, maybe they could have taken the center if they had that 68th pick from the Leonard Williams trade. We don't have to go back down that rabbit hole, but there are a few guys there that maybe they could have, uh, you know, used on the center if they had that pick. Um, but, the, you know, Gettleman basically just said and when they were on the clock, there was, you know, better value at other positions. So, um, you know, and I agree with that approach. I mean, if you can't, you can't reach. I mean, I know that's one of Gettleman's commandments. If you read the piece I wrote the other day and uh, it's true, you, you can't, you know, in the fourth round start worrying about a, drafting a center because you need one i mean the odds of that guy coming in starting day one are pretty slim so you need to take the best player and, and kind of figure it out after the fact um but that being said this the center spot to me is is like appallingly weak i i, I don't understand why they weren't more active in free agency um you know there was some reports that they were interested in joe looney who stayed in dallas um you know, but I don't know. I mean, there was Ted Karras who, I, you know, they, they didn't show much. They showed a little interest, but he only signed a one-year $4 million deal in Miami. Like, I don't know. I just – the idea that they can just kind of run it back with, you know, John Halapio when he gets healthy from a, a, you know, a torn Achilles, which A, is a major injury, and B, obviously he didn't play that well uh, last season as a starter. Spencer Pulley, I think we've seen enough of him in the two years to know that he isn't the answer. Um, I like the idea of giving Nick Gates some work there, but – kind of a tall task. I think I've said this on the podcast, or if not, I've certainly written it. You know, we're going to have a very abbreviated offseason here. So you'd be talking about a guy who was really just fighting to figure out a role at either tackle or guard the last year, and he's never played center in a game. You would have to have him get up to speed in a matter of weeks to be your starting center for week one. I don't see that happening. And Lemieux is, is another guy where, like I was talking earlier, that's a long-term pick right there. I don't think that there's high expectations for him to step in uh, this season, because obviously at guard, you have Hernandez, you have Zeitler. Presumably they're going to be the starters. 
And, and again, it's center. I mean, if Gates has a, a, a big hill to climb to become a center overnight, uh, Lemieux's never done it either. I mean, he was he had a ton of experience at guard uh, in college. Started, I think it was 52 games, which is pretty remarkable. But never playing center in a game, I know he's starting to work at it, which is smart, and that, that's that's all great. But again, you're talking about maybe five or six weeks of practice before the Giants, you know, suited up if everything goes according to plan with the the regular season. That's a tall task as a fifth round pick to change positions, and it's not changing left guard to right guard. I mean, center is a, a totally different ball of wax. The the mental, uh, you know, factors there are, are much more significant than other spots. And then also just the physical the physical aspect of it. Even Joe Judd said, you know, you can snap a ball all you want, but uh, it's a little different when a you know three hundred fifty pound guy is lined up against you. You got to get your hands on him as soon as you snap it. All that type of stuff. I think uh, ideally Lemieux maybe if centers his long term home, he, he basically spends this year getting a ton of work there while being a backup, you know, at all the three interior spots. But uh, I, I think it's going to be Jalapio or Pulley. And to me, I, I think we've seen the last two years that that's that's not good enough. But again, you know, like, like you said at the top, you, you can't fix all the holes in one draft. So they have to hope that, you know, improvements at other spots, you know, along the line, maybe lift that position up a little bit. But I think that's going to be kind of a glaring uh, hole in this this team all season. And you mentioned not wanting to harp on the uh, the Leonard Williams pick, which the third round and then the fifth round or next year. But when you look at that giant gap where the Giants didn't have a pick, and who could have been there? Now, the Jets took Ashton Davis, the safety out of Cal, who the Giants wouldn't have taken. But Matt Hennessy, the center out of Temple, Lloyd Cushenberry, the center of LSU, out of LSU, both those guys would have been there in the third round, and it makes you wonder a little bit. Yeah, and again, that's that's where that trade, I mean, again, it's been, it's been you know, beaten to death, and fans are so tired of hearing about it. Every time I tweet about it, people lose their mind. It was like, someone said, when are we going to stop talking about this? And this was like, I was like, well, like the pick just happened. So I think the shelf life had to at least be until that we saw what happened with that pick. I mean, maybe we'll let it die next year when the Jets are on the clock with their fifth round pick. But I mean, the whole point was you gave up a third round pick for Leonard Williams. So once the third round pick came around, we were going to have to uh, sort of assess what they could have had. And like you said, the centers, um, you know, would have been nice fits. I mean, Zach Bond was a, a linebacker from Wisconsin who – um, you know, he slid a little bit, but would have been nice to maybe take a stab at him. Um, but and the thing with Williams, the one thing I want to say about the trade, and I've said it on Twitter so many times, and I, I don't know, it feels like I'm banging my head against the wall sometimes. When the the conclusion people come to where well, Leonard Williams is gonna be better than whoever the 68th pick was. was, like, no kidding, he better be. I mean, my goodness, you're giving this guy 16 million dollars this year, he better be better than some guy who, again, we're talking dart throws in the third round. That was never the question. The question was, would you rather have Leonard Williams plus? The 68th pick, you know, would you rather have Leonard Williams and Lloyd Cushenberry, who might be your starting center, or would you rather just have Leonard Williams? And and that's the part of the debate where I can't wrap my mind around why people don't see it that way. And then you, because I mean, again, Williams was gonna be a free agent. Now, if you want to say that the Jets would have traded him elsewhere and he would got franchised by that team, okay, okay. So with <laughs> you still got that 60 million dollars to spend, so you go spend it on Jadavian Clowney or or whoever else, you know, any of these other defensive tackles, if that's the need they really felt like they had other guys signed for less than that um who are comparable players so that was my whole issue with the trade from the get-go it was not khalil mack or you know jeremy uh larry tunzel or jalen ramsey one of these guys who like is gonna be really hard to come by so you trade him and you sort of figure out the the contract later um i feel like they could have found a, a pretty similar player to leonard williams but they didn't give up the draft picks and either sign leonard williams or sign someone similar um so again once that 68th pick goes off the board I don't think we're going to spend the next five years unless, you know, Lloyd Cushenberry becomes an all pro center uh, lamenting it, but it, it just always 
It was more the thought process behind it. And I think it's kind of just like intellectually dishonest to say Leonard Williams is better than the 68th pick in the draft. So it was a good trade. I mean, it just, it totally uh, overlooks huge factors in terms of like the value and asset allocation and, and everything like that. So that's my rant on that. Cause I, I try to get it across on Twitter and basically you just get told you're a hater. So I, I, I'm sort of giving up on it and I guess we'll just have to see uh, how everything plays out. You can go to The Athletic and there's just a ton of content on this draft overall and you have a full recap of the draft for the Giants, but you also have a a quick blurb in the overall draft recap and in that blurb, Dan, you kind of named Xavier McKinney as the Giants' best pick of this draft. Of course, Thomas was more of a no-brainer at number four, but they really get value in the second round. 36th pick, they get a guy in Xavier McKinney's safety out of Alabama, and we see that Alabama connection with Joe Judge and, and things there that we thought we might see with Jedrick Wills in the first round. It, it slips to the second round, but Mel Kiper Jr., had uh, McKinney number 15 as his number 15th rated prospect. Uh, He goes 36 to the Giants, and there's a guy that I think they are going to expect to step in and be a player right away. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the third-round pick where with Parrott, you know, it's basically maybe going to be a redshirt year. That's not going to be the case for McKinney. You know, they took him there with full expectation that he's going to, you know, step in the starting lineup, I would think. He complements Jabril Peppers pretty well, so you play those guys alongside each other. Julian Love can kind of be a jack of all trades and you know, sub package and stuff like that. But I think um, McKinney, the, the plan there is he's a starter. Um, you know, they were very excited that he fell to them in the second round. Um, he's the top safety on the board. So, um, the, you know, they got a guy who has played at Alabama at a high level. So, yeah, the, the plan there is plug him right in, right, you know, plug him in right away. And you expect that he should be able to hit the ground running, you know, based on his Alabama background. I mean, you think it wasn't that long ago where the Giants took an Alabama safety early in the second round. And while things didn't end great with Landon Collins, uh, that pick certainly worked out three Pro Bowls in four years. So um, it would be nice for them if history can repeat itself with McKinney. Guys dropped for different reasons, and one reason um, there was some thought that he dropped was the 40 time at the Combine, which was a 4.63. Now, he said that was his worst time through this entire thing, the whole process, and one reason was cramps at the Combine, and he said he ran actually a 4.52 at the Pro Day. Um, so maybe maybe that speed that concerned people um, isn't real, and obviously the Giants aren't too concerned about it, even though speed overall for the Giants' defense has been a concern in recent years. Yeah, well, I'll make a note. He actually didn't run at the Pro Day because obviously the, the Pro Day got canceled, so I think that might have been uh, why he might have slid. And when, you know, when Gettleman was asked, you know, why do you think he was available in the second round, he basically pointed to that's the only thing they could think of is that that yeah. 40 time maybe scared teams a little bit. Um, but Gettleman is big on play speed. You know, he always has his lines about, guys running their underwear and you know he says if we worry about just you know guys running 40 yards straight would you know we just go to track meets to scout and i agree with him there i mean I, I think the 40 is is so overblown i mean i think there is a certain baseline you can't be running like four nine forties and, and try to play defensive back in the nfl but um there's plenty of guys throughout history who, who weren't running four fours and four threes who have um you know turned out to be very good players and i think with mckinney the tape and that's what he said that you know just look at my tape and i think that there's no real concerns about his play speed so yeah he might not be you know, winning the fastest man in the league you know, races or anything like that. But I think he's plenty fast enough to play back there. Um, and again, I think it might have worked out in the Giants' favor that maybe teams got a little scared by that combine 40. And like you said, he, he said he was cramping up. Uh, and if he got another chance at Pro Day and runs a five a four five two, then teams might, you know, okay, check that red flag off. It's, it's actually not a concern. Maybe he goes a little, uh, little earlier, end of the first round, something like that. So 
Uh, sometimes things can, can work in your favor. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't think the speed is a big concern because, again, it doesn't sound like he plays, you know, at a four six speed. It, it just seems like that was, uh, you know, not a great day. And, you know, he, he said there's the kind of calm. I got the best of him a little bit there and you had the cramps. We've heard Gettleman talk so much and really act on it as well to make this a great locker room. And he wants good people in there and hardworking guys and good chemistry. And when you talk about McKinney, here's a guy that was a captain at Alabama as a junior. Um, And obviously that's Nick Saban's program. He doesn't mess around with stuff like that. So it seems like McKinney is going to be a real nice fit as far as that goes as well. Yeah, no, and they said they, they think he can be kind of the quarterback of the defense, so to expect a, a rookie to be able to come in and, and handle that, that says a lot. And um, certainly the judge, Saban, tree, that's going to be strong. I would not be surprised to see a pretty steady diet of Alabama's com- Alabama players coming through here. Not that that's unique. I mean, every team stocks up on Alabama players and uh, Georgia and LSU. I mean, obviously the SEC just kind of dominates uh, the draft, but – if Nick Saban put it this way, if they draft an Alabama guy, you know, he's coming with a strong stamp of approval uh, from Nick Saban and that's going to carry weight with judge. So, yeah. I think McKinney is definitely a guy that they're going to expect to be able to come in and, and handle it from day one. I mean, listen, those programs are pretty much, you know, run like NFL programs already. So it shouldn't be any, his eyes shouldn't be wide when he comes up here and has to play in front of 60,000 people, or, you know, against the Cowboys because he's, you know, he's done it in those games against Auburn and LSU um, so, yeah, the, the expectation for him is to be able to hit the ground running. And, and Judge certainly wants guys that he knows can play in a very strict and disciplined program because that's what he's going to run here. I think that's abundantly clear. So if you can you know, thrive playing for Kirby Smart at Georgia or Nick Saban at Alabama, I think that's a big uh, positive for those guys in, in the draft process when the Giants are, are scouting. There were some things that – You know, there's those holes that they didn't get. Edge rusher, clearly something that the Giants are going to need eventually. They don't get to that. This was a super deep wide receiver class. Now, not saying that the Giants are desperately in need of a wide receiver, but it seemed like almost every team was able to pick up a wide receiver somewhere just because there was so much talent in there. Um, were, Were those kind of some of the surprises of this draft for you from a Giants perspective? Yeah, and, and they're understandable, though. You know, wide receiver, you know, people say it's like a historically deep class. So when you got 10 picks and a bunch on day three, a little surprising they didn't take a stab there. But, I mean, you do look at where they're at. They have Sterling Shepard signed for a few more years. They have Golden Tate signed for a few more years. They have Darius Slayton, obviously, you know, very young in his rookie contract. So the top three guys are pretty solid there. So I guess, yes, you could say they probably, you know, might have had a chance to, to add another guy and maybe can push Tate out in a year or something like that. But it's more just the fact that, if it's such a great class at, at that position, you would think you would have just taken a stab, but can't really kill him for that. And then the edge rusher, man, it's, it's like we were talking about with center where we knew day one of the off season that that was you know going to be a big hole and they've just done so little to address it. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's really head scratching to me because, you know, Marcus Golden had 10 sacks last season. Now I think he's sort of, I don't want to say a flawed player, but maybe limited. He gets his sacks because he, he hustles his butt off. He's got a great motor. And he's like a pretty good player who puts up probably higher sack numbers than maybe his down in a down out play suggests. But so he's, he's gone in free agency. The only replacement is Kyler Fackrell, who it really kind of feels like at his best is probably Marcus Golden. So at, at, at most, maybe it broke even there at edge rusher. But I would say uh, Golden has a little bit more of a track record than Fackrell. So that, that's the only addition you made. And, and it's funny because Dave Gettleman, I think it was on the fan, uh, he, he made the rounds after he did his sort of exit interview at the end of the season. 
and he got asked, but what, you know, what do you need to improve on this roster? And I, the line just stuck in my head. It was a good line. He goes, I think everybody East of the Pacific would say we need an edge rusher. And I don't disagree. So he acknowledged that it was a big hole. And now I, I think they might've wanted to be more active in free agency, but the problem was all the top guys, you know, got franchised and they clearly, you know, they weren't willing to go to Clowney's price point, And maybe even if it's dropping now, I think it's just not a fit. I don't think Clowney wants to come here on a one-year deal. And I think there's also just maybe some medical concerns there where, you know, with the whole not being able to get guys in for physicals, I, I think they're hesitant to even give them a big like, one-year deal if that was even an option. Um, but I don't know. I just, you still look at it. Like it's Dave Gilman's job to figure it out kind of. So even if there wasn't any great options in the draft, there wasn't once Chase Young was off the board, it didn't make sense to take one at four. And then when you're at 36, McKinney was better than, you know, whatever edge rusher. So there was, there wasn't any glaring. Oh my God, I can't believe they passed on this great pass rusher, but just this idea that, eh, we'll figure it out. You know, like, I don't know. I mean, they, they kind of said that the last couple off seasons about a few weaknesses that from the outside seemed glaring and they kind of gave the, Oh, nothing to see here. Uh, type deal and then predictably the, the weakness that we all saw all off season you know manifested itself once the the season started so i think that's what we're going to have here because this whole like oh we can do it by committee it hasn't really worked out so well for this team in, in recent years and uh I, you know i think the the patriots comparisons are going to get a, a bit strained because a you don't have bill belichick calling the shots here and b there's a ton of elite talent in that secondary that that definitely uh, you know, makes things a lot easier for for their pass rushers, whether they didn't have you know, maybe that one stud guy. But the, I don't know. I don't think the Giants have Stephon Gilmore, Devin McCourty, or Patrick Chung, Chung either. And also, even even the Patriots linebackers, you saw they went out and got paid uh, this offseason. So was, maybe the Patriots might have guys who were a little under the radar, but certainly uh, were valued. I don't think any any Giants linebacker is going to sign like a fifty million dollar contract if they hit the market next year. So that the talent level isn't on that Patriots level, and just this idea that. Patrick Graham is this mad genius who's going to scheme up a, a great pass rush. I mean, I know he was shorthanded in Miami last year, but they had five less sacks than any team in the NFL. So it's not like he's proven that, hey, you give him anything to work with and he's going to produce. I mean, it, it didn't happen last year. So I don't I don't know why you would think it's going to be drastically different with Kyler Fackrell and O'Shane Zimenez and Lorenzo Carter. I mean, there, there's a lot of, you know, number two or number three guys, but not having a number one guy, I think, is going to be a problem. I think the Giants, you know, whether they want to admit it or not, I think they've just decided to say, well, no, we can we can figure it out. But I don't. I, I think the best way to have a good pass rush is to have really good pass rushers. Call me crazy, and, and this team doesn't. When you look at this division as a whole and, and the moves that were made as far as this draft goes, the Cowboys kind of made some headlines, Dan, because they went already talented on offense and they went wide receiver in the first round. Now they're just loaded, but they obviously had some maybe other needs they could have looked at. And then the Eagles kind of shocked everybody in the second round with Jalen Hurts when they already have Carson Wentz and just gave him all that money last summer. Um, so when you look around the division, there was definitely some some head scratching. Did, did anything in particular stand out to you from those or something else from the other rivals? Well, uh, I guess I'll start with the Redskins having the second pick. I mean, that pass rush is, is going to be pretty good. I mean, they got a, they got a lot of talent. That front seven is, is going to be pretty fearsome. It'll put this uh, new-look Giants offensive line to the test. Now, I mean, they, pl- they have plenty of question marks, you know, starting a quarterback and their offensive line and, and even their secondary. But uh, it's, it's going to be a, a tough task just going against that front seven. So, you know, adding Chase Young to that uh, will we'll make them, you know, a formidable opponent, at least in that aspect. <clears throat> uh, Philly, I don't, I don't understand – uh, you know, taking a quarterback in the second round there. I mean, I, I know Howie Roseman kind of got himself in a pretzel trying to explain it, but uh, if, if he's supposed to be Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill plays like 20% of the snaps. I know he just got paid crazy money, but I don't want to use a second round pick on a guy who's going to play 20% of the snaps. And, 
uh, you know, be a backup quarterback. And, and Carson Wentz a heck of a lot younger than Drew Brees, too. So even that comparison doesn't work because Hill, presumably, uh, they're grooming him to be the successor. I mean, they just paid Carson Wentz a heck of a lot of money. They, they shouldn't be looking for his successor. So I, I don't get that pick at all. Um, you know, the rest of the draft, I know they added some wide receivers, which they, you know, clearly needed desperately. Um, you know, we'll see how that pans out. And then the Cowboys, I mean, for all of like Jerry Jones's bluster, they just like nailed the draft, it feels like, year after year after year. And, and it's amazing it hasn't produced better results. You know, you know, it's obviously been a playoff team or, you know, a contender most of the, you know, year, most of the recent seasons, but they haven't come close to getting over that hump. So obviously the Cowboys fans will say, well, yeah, the, the reason for that's the guy who's going to be calling the plays for the Giants this season. So we'll see if Mike McCarthy can get more out of him. But it just feels like after you come out of every draft, you look at what the Cowboys did, like, man, that guy should have been picked around earlier than he was, or wow, that's like really great value. And uh, I think that kind of continued. So, uh, you know, for the rest of the NFC East, you hope that, you know, either we're overvaluing their, their drafts every year, or, you know, maybe the coaching continues to hold it back. But, yeah, you look at that offense, you know, adding Lamb to an offense that already has Cooper on the other side. And uh, they, they got some talent, man, on, on that offense. And even, you know, just going a little further in the draft, it, it just seemed like every guy they had, all the experts were saying, oh, man, that, that was a good pick. Or that guy should have been gone, you know, around earlier. The corner they got in the second round, people were saying that they were contemplating taking in the first. So that, that that's always a good sign when, when it works out like that. So, yeah, I, I think that um, Dallas – you know, again, year in, year out, just has really good drafts. And again, if you're the Giants and the rest of the NFC East, you're just hoping it doesn't kind of finally come together on the field because it hasn't, obviously, to this point. Yeah, certainly. And the thing that stood out for me, Roseman, you mentioned him tying himself kind of in a pretzel. You never want your GM to say the words, for better or for worse. And that was his quote was, for better or for worse, we develop quarterbacks. Well, you know, let's stick to the for better. That's what I want to hear if I'm a, if I'm a fan base for sure. Um, so when you look at this Giants, one last thought from you, Dan, on this podcast. You look at this Giants new class as a whole and the overall picks that they got and going through them real quick. It's Thomas, obviously, in the first round, McKinney in the second. Then it's Parrott, uh, Darnay Holmes in the fourth, Shane Lemieux in the fifth, Cam Brown, then, Ed, then uh, Carter Coughlin, TJ Brunson, Chris Williamson, and Tay Crowder, Mr. Irrelevant. You look at this class as a whole, what would you put a grade on it right now? Because we know realistically we can't grade these things for at least a year or two. Yeah, like I said, it's hard. I mean, I'd say it's definitely a solid draft. I mean, B, B plus even. I mean, like there was no like crazy head scratching picks. Um, you know, I think the the parrot one, it's not a guy who's going to come in and, and be an impact player from day one, but I, I don't think that was a, necessarily a bad pick there. I mean, like you're, you're looking at some upside again. We're talking about a team that is rebuilding, so they don't they shouldn't be making picks as if like we need a starting center, we got to take a center. Like you got to kind of match uh, the value with the need, which is certainly one of Gettleman's tenets, and uh, I think that was a, a sound approach. I mean, you're looking at that those first two days are guys you want to contribute. So I think they obviously have a tackle who's going to start from day one, and a safety who's going to start from day one. And then, you know, they had a lot of picks on day three. So we'll see if any of those guys pan out. Like I think Holmes has the best shot to come in because that slot corner position has been, you know, a weakness for years. And I think he projects as a guy who can step right in there. So that'd be big. And then everyone else, I mean, who knows? You know, it's, it's a lot of guys you're just taking a stab at. I think Lemieux was good value for a guy who was you know pretty accomplished college player to get him in the fifth round. And if you ever can tra uh, transition to center, that would be a really nice uh, you know turn of events. But at a minimum, I think you have a guy who's going to be a quality backup and maybe push for a starting job down the road. Um, so, yeah, I think it was a solid draft. I mean, sort of the same thing that applies to the Cowboys uh, draft. I think a lot of times you looked at picks and, you know, whether it's PFF or I, you know, I'm looking at Dane Brugler's rankings, you know, guys who are they getting at 
36 were ranked 25 or guys that, you know, they got at 110 were ranked 86. So it's just like they were sort of always on the right side of, of the value. And, you know, you can take those for what they're worth, but um, it's probably the best thing we have to measure right now. So uh, I think it was, I think it was a good solid draft and uh, obviously a lot's going to depend on how Andrew Thomas develops, but um, I think, you know, I think overall, you know, the, the team got a little bit better and, um, you know, it's, again, I think there was a cohesive plan in place. So now it's about executing it. Yeah. You mentioned being on the right side of the rankings and that's a good point when you think about the fact that once again, Dave Gettleman did not trade down at all, but at least he didn't reach either. And it seemed like with that second round pick, he was willing to trade and he had a trade in place if, uh, McKinney hadn't dropped to them right there. Yeah, my understanding is they, you know, they were willing to trade back, and there was because there was a few teams ahead, you know, multiple picks either in the middle of the second round or a pick in the middle of the second and a, a third round pick. So there was definitely some teams that would have made sense to do a deal with because you know the Giants could have slid back say ten spots and also picked up a mid third round pick. So you, you know you're getting one more guy in there to um, either you know bridge that Leonard Williams gap or just you know a, a guy who holds you over to you know, to wait till ninety nine where they took Parrot. Um, so obviously it didn't happen because their their feeling was you know obviously you have all day you know, on Friday to prepare and size up the board they you know, only have to wait three picks to be on the clock and they decide if Xavier McGinney's there we're just taking him so um, clearly that's that's how things unfolded I mean it is it is amazing though eight drafts and I mean not once he can't you know he's not going from one ten to one seventeen to pick up another fifth he just stays where he's at. You know, he fires and takes the guys there or even moves up. But he didn't, he didn't do that this year either. Uh, but no, it's it's certainly how he's wired. Now, I mean, do we make too much of it? Maybe it's more that if he just did it, like he should just throw us a bone and like trade one of those seventh round picks and move back like two spots. So that way it would just ruin our sentences. We could never write like <laughs> he's never trade back. We'd have to be like comma, except for the one time in, in 2020. But I don't I just look at the this. A reason why Bill Belichick does it every year is a reason why the Seahawks do it a lot. There's a reason why the Ravens do it a lot. There's a reason why the Vikings do it a lot. And it's probably not a coincidence that those teams, you know, for the most part, have a lot of success. I'm not saying it's the only way to draft, but again, I just look at successful teams who seem to have, you know, smart front offices. There's probably something they've discovered that it makes sense to do so. Because again, we talk about the draft. The whole thing is an inexact science. So getting more swings at the plate uh, makes sense. But Dave Gettleman is kind of full steam ahead and, and he's, you know, see ball, hit ball is sort of his, uh, his thing. When you're talking about a baseball analogy, he's not, he's not working the count. He wants the, that first fastball. He's jumping all over it. And he, he decides that this guy who's available at my pick is I'm not getting anything better than this. So I'm just going to stay here and, and take the short thing. And, um, you know, obviously puts a little more pressure on your evaluations because you're, you're not giving yourself more opportunities, but uh, it is just sort of a funny quirk now where this year it seems like, with the fourth pick or the 36 pick was lined up. Maybe they're going to finally do it. And, and sure enough, he, uh, he stood pat. Yeah. And we'll see, obviously we'll evaluate this over the next couple of years and see how that, this draft went. you'll have features on a lot of these guys coming up over the next couple of weeks, Dan. So people should stay locked to the athletic for all of those. And beyond this podcast, definitely check out prospects to pros as well. Dane Brugler's work, not quite done yet. I'm not sure Dane has slept in about a week, uh, but they're going to put out one last prospects to pros on this draft. Um, and he has his 2021 mock, I think coming out soon as well. So check that out. Say 40% off a subscription to The Athletic or theathletic.com slash the New York Football Podcast. This has been fun, Dan. You should get some sleep as well, and we'll be back on the podcast uh, soon enough to, to talk about the where this season is heading and, and where we're going to have some football. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in.